Welcome to this week's Manna House message. We are grateful you are listening with us today. It is our prayer that you will receive a fresh word from God and find encouragement for every season of your journey. Let's listen in. Good morning. Wave at me. Yeah, all right, we're all here. Good to go. Uh, How many of you uh, didn't realize 205 was going to be closed today? I didn't, but then I live here, so it didn't matter. So. <laughs> but thank you for getting in here. Um, so happy to see you all today. This is a great day. Obviously, it's going to be a nice, warm uh, summer day uh, here in Portland. I'm so uh, excited about this series that we've been in because how many of you know winning beats losing? And there's some things that's so important that we conquer. So this, this is the last Sunday in our series, Not Today. And uh, it's taken from the passage back in Deuteronomy that lists seven of the enemies that Israel uh, had to conquer when they went into their promised land. And, and, and I know we kind of wonder like, okay, well, that was a long time ago and they're fighting all these demon worshipers and, and we're not supposed to do that today. We have a different way to save the world. And, and uh, so how does that relate to us? But Paul actually said in Corinthians that all of those stories in the Bible back there about them going into their promised land to fulfill their destiny were all written to be examples and to teach lessons that we could learn as we move into the destiny and purpose that God has for our lives. Now, we're, we're not fighting people. We don't war against flesh and blood, Paul said in Corinthians. But there are enemies that we need to conquer. How many know our job is to rescue people from darkness, but we got to conquer the darkness? we got to help them conquer the darkness. How many know there's evil in the world, and it's destroying people's lives, and it holds them in bondage? And these seven nations that were listed in Deuteronomy chapter 7, uh, it says, uh, God brings you into the land. He's going to clear away many nations before you. Um, scripture on the slide. Uh, he says the Hittites, Girgashites, Amorites. We've been looking through these uh, different enemies over the last uh, number of weeks. And today is our last one. The last one on the list is the Jebusites. Now, the Lord told them before they went in, these enemies are going to be more numerous than you. They're going to outnumber you. They're going to be stronger than you. But the Lord is going to give you victory over them, and you will defeat them. And then he says, but make sure you don't compromise and just uh, live among them. It's so important that that we don't just kind of settle for partial victory. Incomplete victory leads to no victory at all. And last week, there was this amazing story about Joshua being so motivated in the, in the five kings that joined against him. If you were here last week, if not, it's a great uh, less, uh, message to go back and watch. Because five different enemies ganged up on Israel, and Joshua was so motivated that after being up all night, uh, excuse me, up all day, he got news that people that had tricked him into a treaty were being attacked, and he marched his army 20-some miles straight uphill through deep ca- ravines and treacherous territory to surprise those five uh, armies the next morning and then chase them all the next day as God was giving them victory, uh, more than 20 miles of chasing them the next day, and then he's so motivated to finish it off that he says, sun, stand still. And God did the greatest miracle in the history of the planet since it was created and the earth stopped rotating and gravity to still worked the same and they get a whole nother extra day. Joshua was more than a conqueror. Right. Romans 8 talks about us being more than a conqueror. But even in the midst of that, and one of the kings he was fighting was the, uh, the king of Jebus, the Jebusite king from Jerusalem. And so today we want to focus in on this and I want to talk about 
our most stubborn enemy. Because we're down to the last one, and the last one in Deuteronomy chapter 7 was the Jebusites, and we're down to that last enemy focusing on, because all of those enemies that Israel was fighting on the outside actually represented and were symbolic of enemies they needed to conquer on the inside. How do you know that you can't conquer your outside if you can't conquer your inside? We, we, we got to understand that the internal enemies are the most important ones to be defeated because we're not going to win anything on the outside if we don't get it together on the inside. And we tend to focus on the external enemies. Oh, that person offended me. The real enemy is your lack of forgiveness. The real enemies are not out there. The most important, now, yes, there's enemies out there to be conquered. There's people that need to be rescued from darkness. We need to go help, uh, help them, and we need to apply the, the truth and the mercy and the love of Jesus to rescue people from darkness and deliver them from the strongholds and the bondages that are destroying the world around us. Yes, there's enemies out there, the world, the flesh, you know, but we got to conquer the enemies in here. If you don't conquer these, you won't conquer those. That was true of Israel. Whenever they couldn't conquer the fear on the inside, they couldn't conquer the giants on the outside. The giants in your heart are more important to be defeated than the giants outside of you because if you conquer the giants on the inside, you won't have problems with the giants on the outside. God will say, look, you helped me overcome your fear and your doubt and your compromise and your wrong desires that, and your wrong attitudes and your reaction, your lack of forgiveness. Let me help you conquer that, and then you'll be ready to do some damage to the kingdom of darkness outside of you. Come on, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. But if we're losing the battle on the inside, we're not going to be winning on the outside. And you follow Israel's history. Whenever they were winning on the inside, they won on the outside. Whenever they were losing on the inside, they lost on the outside. Everybody tracking? So we're going to focus this last Sunday on an internal enemy, the, the, the strongest enemy that Israel faced, the last one they conquered, are the Jebusites. So here's a question that I want to ask you. What's that one prevailing problem that stalks your life? Where does the enemy seem to have a hook in you? Let's go after that today. Now, God told Israel these enemies are, are stronger than you. But he said, I will give you the ability to conquer them. So what is it in your life that you struggle to believe that God can give you victory to conquer it? What enemy have you settled down and just decided to live with? What enemy have you just accepted like partial victory over? It's like, well, I'll always deal with that. You don't have to. Jesus didn't come to save part of you. He came to save all of you. He didn't just come to deliver you from one thing and a few things. He came to deliver you from everything that can hinder your life. So let's go after it. Let's say, son, stand still. I'm not done yet. You know, the Bible says about that day that God was so impressed with Joshua's killer instinct that he actually did what Joshua suggested. Now, a lot of times we have ideas for God and he just doesn't do them. But the verse in Joshua says, there was no day like it before or after where God liked a man's idea and actually did it. An amazing miracle. Why? Because he was saying, I want to get after it. I want to finish it off. Okay. So, here's the Jebusites' key strategy. Uh, the Jebusites uh, were warriors. They liked to live in high country. Um, 
and they, they established this stronghold. But their key strategy was to establish a stronghold. Now, a few weeks ago, um, we, some of the professors at Portland Bible College, our college right here on our campus, uh, we took a group to Israel, a tour group, 60-some of us on a bus, and, uh, and uh, had a great time. And one of the places we went is a place that over the last couple of decades, has, there's been a lot of effort put into it so that actually tourists can actually see, because it's, it's the city, it's called the City of David. It's an archaeological site. It's, it's probably one of the greatest, most difficult, challenging archaeological uh, digs that has ever uh, happened in Israel, obviously, in the last century or so. And, uh, <clears throat> and part of this, you get, you get to see part of the stronghold that the Jebusites built in the area, in, right in Jerusalem. And before David conquered Jerusalem, we go clear back to the days of Joshua, the Jebusites were already there, and they had built this fortress. And I, I took some pictures. Here's uh, uh, the first one, I think. Oh, there you go. That's some of the excavation going on, and, and that's been done just in the last eight years since the last time that we were there. <clears throat> and so they're digging around, and they found a lot of like, okay, this is David's palace, and, but uh, moving on to the next one, I, you can see the next three slides I took with my camera because they're, they're real uh, vertical, but there's these walls that you can uh, see now. You can go to where they are, and you see all this massive stonework, and obviously it's, it's not all there from back in the day, but... As you walk around and somebody who's knowledgeable there, you know, there's always a guide that takes you through this stuff. The Jebusites um, built this amazing fortress that Israel couldn't conquer. In fact, it was centuries. David finally was the first person to conquer this. Now, Joshua conquered the king some miles away from here, but as it says in the book of Joshua, the tribe of Judah couldn't conquer Jebus. They, they couldn't conquer the, the stronghold of the Jebusites. And so they just kind of left them there and dwelt among them because they, 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 they didn't think they could conquer this. And, and it's quite a fortress. Uh, the next slide is underground. A lot, a lot of the uh, uh, excavation, of course, has to be down underground, so you see all this going on. But the last picture here these walls they found were as thick as 23 feet thick, and some of the stones are as much as 10 feet wide. That's a rock. <laughs> and imagine these high walls that are built with rocks like that at the foundation. And so this fortress was, uh, was amazing. It was, it was like, given ancient means of warfare, it's like, what are you going to do with that? There's no explosives, you know, you got no drones, you know, to fly over it. You know, it's like, you know, given swords and spears and bows and arrows, you know, it's like, what, what are you going to do? I mean, it, it was just this, this impenetrable fortress. And, and the Jebusites were real proud of this, and they were pretty smug, and they lived among Israel. It says in Judges chapter 3, verses 5 to 7, so the people of Israel lived among the Canaanites, Hittites, etc., and Jebusites. And their daughters, they took themselves for wives, and their daughters they gave to their sons. And, and notice it says, and they served their gods. And the people did what was evil on the side of the Lord, and they forgot the Lord their God and served Baals and Asherah. Now, what happened is because they didn't finish it off and drive out the Jebusites and just live down the road from them, over time, the greatest enemy, compromise kind of took over. And they started connecting, and, and obviously, missionary dating didn't work very well in this situation. 
because the relationship socially ended up being a spiritual problem because they served their gods. Instead of influencing the Canaanites to become Jehovah worshipers, it went the other way. There's a number of reasons for that. The book of Judges kind of details some of that. And, and the, the enemy of compromise within our heart is a formidable enemy. Because after a while, it's just like, well, I guess I'll have to live with this. The Jebusites' kind of argument is, we're here to stay, you're not moving us out, so you might as well get used to us. What Jebusite in your heart that is not of God, that is opposed to the work of Christ in your life, has told you, you're just going to have to live with me? You're not going to drive me out, you might as well get used to it. Just do a workaround, because I'm here to stay. Listen, Jesus came to get rid of the Jebusites too. You understand what I mean? The, the things in our heart that build those strongholds that just kind of set in and just want to stay there. So here's, here's where we're really going today, and that is how do you conquer strongholds? This is the big question. It's like those difficult places to conquer in our heart, those things that just are there. And, and it may be different things for different one of us. Some things, you know, some enemies are easy to drive out, some are, diff, uh, are hard, and, and it's different. Some of us, it's like we find it easier to forgive. Others, it's like we really struggle to forgive. Some of us find it easy to have, you know, to, to conquer impatience. Others are like, oh, we just can't, you know. It's, some of us, uh, you know, have, have certain kinds of temptations. Others of us, you know, we, we don't struggle with that. But how many know we all struggle with something? Right. We all need Jesus' help for something in our life. There are things that, you know, maybe we've struggled with for a long time. And, and instead of just focusing on the easy things that you've changed, and you kind of cleaned up your life a little bit, you're a better person than you used to be, good for you. Let's finish it off. Let's become like Jesus. Let's don't settle for partial Christianity. Let's don't settle for partial freedom in our hearts and our lives. Let's go after those things. It might be a mindset. It might be, a, it might be some thought habit patterns. It may be that your sense of yourself, you just don't see yourself as having much worth or significance. It may be anxiety that you've just allowed to say, well, I'm just always going to be a worry ward. That's just me. You know, it's like my mother was, my grandmother was, and I am too. It doesn't have to be that way. Jesus died so you could be a brand new person. So everything that holds your heart captive, can, you can be free from. So it was over four centuries from the time of Joshua until David finally conquered the Jebusites. For over 430 years, they're cohabiting with an enemy that God said in Deuteronomy before they ever came into the land, I will totally give you victory. Just go tackle them. I know they have a walled fortress. I know they're greater and mightier than you, but I will be with you. I will give you victory. And it wasn't until David came along that they finally said, let's drive out that enemy. Don't wait 430 years. Now, maybe you've waited 40. Don't wait 430. It's like the sooner you get after them, the better, because God said their turf is your turf. I have given it to you. They have no right there. Why are you letting them stay there? That's what the New Testament says about all the internal enemies that we have. 2 Samuel chapter 5. So when David finally goes after this, says, the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who said to David, notice their, their brashness, you won't come in here. The blind and the lame will ward you off. 
They were like, we can put our blind people on the wall and you won't be able to conquer them. We can put the people that can't walk up there and they will defeat you. Now, no offense to disadvantaged people. This is just referring to the brashness of the Jebusites. How many you know the devil is never politically correct? And the devil doesn't care about anybody. And, and the devil just wants to intimidate. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David, and he lived in the stronghold and called it the city of David, and he built the city all around from the millow inward, and David became greater and greater, for the Lord God of hosts was with him, and David knew that the Lord had established him king over Israel, that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. So, how do we take the strongholds in our life? Let's go for it. First answer, we've got to recognize that God wants all of you. You see, partial victory comes from partial surrender. The reason there's some enemies we don't conquer is because we haven't totally given all of our heart to God yet. Deuteronomy 10, 12 says, Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. See, what happens is we get living with these strongholds and we compartmentalize our life and we're like, okay, this part belongs to God, the Sunday part, etc. But this part, it's like, ah, you know, I'm embarrassed. He probably doesn't want to talk about that. Listen, it's the parts you're the most embarrassed by that God wants you to open up to him the most so he can actually come in and clean it out and give you strength and victory and change you. So don't compartmentalize your life and give part of it to God. Give him access to part of it. But this area is like, I've stopped even praying about it. I'm certainly not going to try to deal with it anymore because I think I'm just going to have to live with it. You know, um, if you'll open your whole heart to God, you'll find that he won't come in and say, oh, you got a Jebusite. <clears throat> Can't believe it. <laughs> I'm not fellowship within you. You got Jebusite. He's like, would you let me help you drive them out? Don't be so embarrassed in front of God that you won't let him change you. Don't allow the enemy's condemnation or your own self-condemnation. Some of us, we don't need the devil to pick on us. We pick on ourselves. We condemn ourselves. We put ourselves down. We keep playing the tape of the same old wrong thoughts that make us feel weak and 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 and. and uh, not able to really change? Oh, I've been this way forever. You haven't been that way for 430 years. Come on, give God a chance. <laughs> so number one is recognize that God wants all of you. Number two, don't believe the lies. This is so important. Don't believe the lies. Do You know, 430 years later, when David finally took the stronghold, there were only about a thousand Jebusites living there. And there's hundreds of thousands of Israelites. Now, when they came into the land, there were more Canaanites than Israelites. But 430 years later, there was way more Israelites than the, there's only about a thousand Jebusites. And they still think four centuries later, yeah, we, yeah, we can't get them. Yeah, we can't conquer that. Yeah, that, that's their turf. You know, we, we have to live around down here below. Come on, don't believe the lies. 2 Samuel 5, 6, you will not come in here, but the blind and the lame will ward you off, thinking David can't come in here. Come on, you know the enemy's typical strategy is to intimidate us. It's like, hey, even our weak people could defeat you. 
And for 400 years, they were believing that. You know, Satan's greatest power is deception. If you look at all the verses in the Bible that talks about everything that Satan can do, and by the way, there's not as many as we think there are, but yeah, he's a bad dude and he can do bad stuff. The one that's talked about as much or more than all the others combined is deception. The number one thing Christians are warned about in the New Testament is deception. It's his greatest power. It's his most used weapon. Why? Because his power is limited. He's not omnipotent. He doesn't have all power. He's a dog on a leash. And yeah, he bites and he's got a bark and all that, and, and he'll be judged one of these days. But, but it's, it, he's limited. But he doesn't want you to think he's limited. So if he can get you to think he has more power than he has, then he virtually has more power than he has. He can't increase his power, but he can get you to believe he has more power than he does. I had a friend um, uh, years ago, he's, he's in heaven now, and he grew up on a, on a uh, kind of farm slash ranch in Saskatchewan in the middle of Canada. And he told a story that I've never forgotten about how he and his brother, uh, they had some turkeys that they raised. And, and he and his brother would, would take a turkey to the front of, in front of the barn where there was some blacktop, some black oil kind of blacktop. And, and uh, they would get a rope and get a piece of chalk and they'd take a turkey and lay it down on the pavement and hold its neck down, you know, so it can't get up. And the turkey would flop around and they'd just hold it down. Then they would put a rope over its neck and they'd put their feet on the rope on either side. So the, the turkey would try to get up, but the rope is pinning its neck to the pavement with their feet on either side. I'm sorry, this is a cruel thing for boys to do to turkeys, but anyway, stay with my story, okay? <laughs> then they said, were some turkeys, they could actually do this. They would still hold the turkey down, take the rope off, and take a big piece of white chalk and draw a chalk line on the blacktop up to the turkey's neck, draw it over, run it over the turkey's neck, and draw the chalk line out to the other side. They said, some turkeys after the chalk line being drawn, after the rope and everything else, would lay there and look over and see the chalk line going this way, look over and see the chalk line going that way, and would be pinned to the pavement by chalk dust. <laughs> so the point of my message today is don't be a turkey. <laughs> Here's a picture of a turkey. I mean, the turkeys are nice and all, but, you know, don't, don't like... Don't be a turkey. In other words, don't allow the enemy to pin you to the pavement with his chalk dust. Come on, blow the chalk dust away. Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Don't be the turkey that believes that you're pinned to the pavement by chalk dust. Or the next slide, don't, you'll end up this kind of turkey. Okay. <laughs> Now, why does Corinthians say that the big spiritual battle with the big strongholds is about imagination and knowledge and taking captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ? Come on, the real battle is in our mind. We've got to believe the truth and we've got to stop believing the lies. Next one. So how do we conquer strongholds? Number three, make the decision to attack the stronghold. Blow off the talk, chalk dust. Get up and go after it. 
Stop believing the uh, the blind and the lame among the Jebusites could beat us because they're up there on these walls and we're down here and it's been that way for four centuries and it'll always be this way. I've always had this problem. I've always had this bad habit. I've always struggled with this attitude. I've always had this anxiety. I've always had this temptation. I've always had to, you know, I've never been able to conquer this. Jesus is greater. When are you going to believe it? And when are you going to act on that belief? Second Samuel 5, 7 says, Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion. In other words, no matter what the enemy was catcalling and trash-talking from up on their walls, David figured out a way. It was pretty cool how it worked, Joab and then the water tunnel, all that. It's a cool thing. But after 400 years of being taunted and, and, and intimidated, it's like David just said, let's go. How many know one decision can change everything? If that decision is in line with God's purpose for your life, if that decision is in line with the truth of the Bible, the New Testament, the gospel, if that decision is something that God has already told you that he wants to do for you, the decision to get up and go can make all the difference. Colossians chapter 3 talks about putting to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, idolatry. It says, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. That's a decision to get up and change. Stop doing that. Put it off. Don't do it anymore. John Calvin had a famous quote that said, kill sin or it will be killing you. There are things in your heart, it matters whether you defeat it or not. There's some enemies in your heart. You either conquer them or they'll conquer you. You either conquer them or they will limit you. You won't be the person you can be in Christ. You won't uh, do the good in the world that he created you to do. You, you won't have the kind of relationships that he wants to free you to have. You, it's, it's like there are some enemies. Now, listen, we're not supposed to be fighting people. The world today is filled with so much fighting, but it's all the wrong fight. Paul said our, our warfare is not against flesh and blood. It's, it's not people that are a problem. It's these things in our heart that need to be conquered. Okay, how do we conquer the strongholds? Here's the next one. Don't do it alone. Whatever you do, don't do it alone. Satan wants you to fight alone. He wants you to think that you just got to conquer this. Don't let anybody, don't let anybody help you. Don't let anybody else in. Don't let, and, and that pride of not wanting to be embarrassed by, you know, the Bible says, if you'll confess your faults to one another, pray for one another, you'll be changed. But sometimes the areas of our heart that we need the most help in, we're the least likely to ask for help. Notice in 2 Samuel, and David said on that day, whoever would strike the Jebusites, let him get up the water shaft to attack. In other words, David wasn't just saying, I don't care about you guys, I'm going to do this by myself. Nobody will know. No, they, they ended up all winning. It's, it's a typical tactic of the enemy when it comes to strongholds to get you thinking too much about what other people think and not enough about what God thinks. It's like, well, I don't want anybody to know that I'm this weak. Well, who do you stinking think you are? <laughs> of course we're all weak. We all need Jesus. We all need each other. Could we just get over that? Yeah, I need help. You need help. No offense. Look at the person next to you and say, you need help. <laughs> oh, maybe that was uncomfortable. Sorry. 
No, here's what you should do. Look at the person next to you and say, I need help. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Okay. Finally got it right. <laughs> Come on, don't fight alone. Satan wants you to fight alone. You know, even this fall, and this is why I hear, you know, we're so into groups, because you get other people that'll pray with you, that'll encourage you, that'll stand with you, and you'll stand with them, and it's like, that, that's why groups are so, we're actually starting some special new groups this fall called Freedom Groups. And if you've got an area that you really want to have some breakthrough in, I'm telling you, we're going to go through Scripture, we're going to pray, and you're going to find some real freedom, maybe in areas that you've never found freedom before. Wait, I don't know if I was supposed to say that yet, but newsflash, it's something we're going to be announcing soon, okay? <laughs> the next one, how do, you, how do you conquer strongholds? Remember this, it's not who you are, it's whose you are. And it, this might be the most important point that I'm trying to make here today. It's not who you are. It's whose you are. Notice what what it says about David and what he knew. In 2 Samuel 5.12, it says, And David knew that the Lord had established him king over Israel, and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. Like, David recognized, this is not about me, this is about God. God's the one who asked me to do this. God's the one who called me. He's the one who sent Samuel to anoint me. He's the one that gave me the victory over the lion, the bear, and then Goliath. You know, David recognized this was God. He's just letting God do his thing through him rather than seeing God as distant and he's trying to improve himself so God will like him. But it's, it's not about who you are. Ephesians chapter 2 says, You were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, etc. But then in verses 4 and 5, it says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Now, this really goes to our sense of identity, which is such a critical factor here. How do we identify ourselves? And I want to ask you this question. What or who is your identity rooted in? Like what really determines your sense of who you are? Is it your ancestors? Is it your circumstances? Is it your performance? Um, is it your self-image? You know, like what? Like... The enemy wants your identity to be rooted in your sin. He wants your identity to be rooted in your struggle. He wants your identity to be rooted in the stronghold. He wants you to see yourself through your weakness. It's one thing to recognize your weakness. It's another thing to let it become your identity. And, okay, so you have a diagnosis. You know, diagnoses can be helpful. As long as they don't become your identity. Thank you, I'm trying. Well, this is really important. We're in the, you know, so we get this diagnosis, then it becomes our label, and then we tell everybody, and then it becomes our excuse, and then it becomes the Jebusite we live with for 430 years. Well, I'm just the survivor of, no, you're not. You're a new creature in Christ. Don't let your struggle be your identity because Jesus died so it wouldn't be your identity anymore. 
Yes, you used to be an idiot, but Jesus came to save you from that. Yes, you used to be a bad person. Yes, you used to do bad things. Yes, you had bad habits. Apart from Jesus, we're all a mess. But he came to free us from all of that. And now, old things have passed away. This is scripture I'm quoting. All things are becoming new. You're a new creature in Christ. We sang it today. I am who God says I am. Well, we all have our demons. What, do you want some? <laughs> I've been asked many times, could a Christian have a demon? I'm like, why would you want one? <laughs> <laughs> Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Come on, let's, let's believe some of the truth. Let's blow off some of the chalk dust that keeps holding us down. All of those lies that are not true. You're not a victim. You're not a survivor. You're a new person in Christ. You're not an alcoholic. You're a person that used to drink too much. And we even have some in Christianity. Well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. You know, that's a heresy. The New Testament says you're a saint. Yeah, yeah, you can remember the hole of the pit you were dug from, Isaiah says. It's, it's okay because you praise God for his grace and mercy because, yes, you used to be a, pro- used to be a problem. But the cross changes everything, not just some things. It's not just about a ticket to heaven. It's about being a brand new person. Wow. Uh, when Jesus was baptized, look at this verse in Matthew three seventeen. So when he's being baptized in Jordan River, there was this voice from heaven that said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Now, right after that, 40 days, wilderness, etc., when Satan comes to tempt him, notice what Satan targets with his first words. In Matthew chapter 4, he was led to the Spirit, 40 days, etc., he was hungry, and the tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, what, 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 it, what was said at baptism? This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, and what does Satan attack immediately? What the Father had said to Jesus about who he was. If you are the Son of God, Satan was testing Jesus' identity right after it had been clearly identified by heaven. Listen, he's not going to do anything different with us. He's going to come to you. He's like, you're not that good of a Christian. It hasn't fully worked for you. You're not as good as so-and-so. Why do you still struggle with this? What what does he want to do? He, He doesn't want you to see yourself the way heaven declares you to be. So... To overcome strongholds, we must see ourselves as God sees us. This is such an important key to this. Let me say it again. To overcome strongholds, we must see ourselves as God sees us. Paul made a big deal of this in Ephesians. In fact, in his writings, Paul uses this phrase, uh, in Christ, over 150 times which means that in Christ, everything that is true about him is true about you. It's like when, when, when David conquered Goliath, that wasn't just David's victory, that turned out to be Israel's victory. Amen. Jesus conquered Satan for us, but that turns out to be our victory too. 
Yes, he's our champion. Yes, he's the one who's defeated all of our enemies. And yes, it's his victory, that, but his victory becomes our victory. If you are in Christ, heaven sees you differently than when you weren't. Everything that is true about Christ is true about you. And, and so much of the New Testament letter, the writings of Paul is so much about this, who you are in Christ. And, and he'll, he'll go off, uh, you know, and he in uh, chapter, just chapter one of Ephesians, the first three chapters of Ephesians are, here's who you are in Jesus, so the last few chapters, so here's how you should live it out. And, and Paul's always wanting us to know, like, you got to understand, you're a new person. And, and he lists in the first chapter a couple dozen things that, you know, you're blessed, you're called, you're anointed, you're chosen by God, you're a new, you know, like, like but sometimes we just read that and it doesn't sink in. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 says, walk worthy of the calling to which you have been called. But you're not going to walk it out if you haven't believed it in. If you haven't accepted it, if you, if you haven't stopped seeing yourself the way you always have and start agreeing with what God says. The best definition of faith I've ever come up with or read about is agreeing with God. Faith is always agreeing with God. You can't disagree with God and have faith. So what God says is more true than the chalk dust of Satan's lies. And we have this choice. What am I going to believe? What I think about myself, what Satan tries to do, whatever people say. Or am I going to believe what Jesus says about me? Come on, if we will learn to see ourselves through our Father's eyes, we will truly become what He's envisioned for us. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Now, this is easier to talk about than it is to do. I understand it's a daily challenge. Why? Because we have these thought patterns we play. But here's what you need to do. You need to replace some of those old thought patterns with the new ones. Read Ephesians 1. Get some passages of Scripture that speak to you. Corinthians 5, 17. I keep quoting. You know, read, find some truth. Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Tr truth, is, truth is like taking a leaf blower to chalk dust. I was doing some yard work yesterday, and I finished, you know, with my blower. I, I love my blower. It's battery-operated. I don't have to have a cord. It's just so cool. I love my blower. Anyway, and there was a little bit of stuff on the pavement, you know. I cut the grass, et cetera, you know. It's just like... <laughs> As I'm doing that, I'm thinking, this is what we need to do to the enemy's lies. Get out the most powerful leaf blower in the history of the universe, which is the truth of what God says about us, and just take it to all of those lies. The next time your mind says, yeah, you're still this, or you're still that, or you'll never conquer, you'll be like, no more chalk dust around here. <laughs> Would you stand with me? I want us to finish this series by really making this commitment. Lord, I want every part of my inner world to be totally open to you. And I want your spirit to come in and just clean it out, rearrange it. And Lord, I want you to help me to grasp a hold of the truths of what you say about me and stop allowing the enemy to live in that fortress in my heart. 
We want the Jebusites to be gone from our heart. How many would say that this word maybe applies to you in some way? You know, then I, I think we should pray in a particular way before we close here. Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord, we are so grateful that you have conquered every enemy that comes to hinder and hurt our lives. All of Satan's plots, all that sin can do, all that evil does, Lord, you've come to just redeem it all. First, Lord, we want to thank you for your forgiveness. You are so gracious. You are so merciful for all those ways that we keep disappointing you, for all those ways we keep not living life the way you intended. Lord, you're just, you're so ready to forgive and to cleanse and to heal and to strengthen us so we don't have to keep hurting ourselves and, the other, and others around us. So Lord, we're grateful for your forgiveness today. And Lord, right now in your presence, we're asking for that. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for believing the enemy's lies. Forgive us for allowing those strongholds in our hearts. Forgive us for allowing those thought patterns, habit patterns, attitudes, etc., just to continue there, Lord. We know, Lord, that you came to die and you rose again to prove that you have a power that can actually transform us. So, Lord, we just invite your Holy Spirit now. Lord, come into our hearts and lives in a fresh way. Help us, Lord, to open those areas of our heart that we're embarrassed about. Open those areas that we've given up on thinking we'll never conquer it. Help us to have this fresh faith that you can bring your redemptive power to every part of our heart and life. And Lord, today we want to make the decision to stop letting the enemy have that stronghold within us. Lord, we know it's not by our strength but you do need our decision. So Lord, trusting in your power, trusting in your strength, trusting in the ability that you have that we have not had within ourselves to change those things, we look to you right now and we say, Lord, come and energize our decision to open that area of our heart to you. Help us to be brave enough to not fight alone. Help us to see ourselves through your eyes. Help us to stop believing the lies and to blow away the enemy's chalk dust with your truth. Help us, Lord, to stay focused on this and not just wander off somewhere else paying attention to other things, but help us to respond to your Holy Spirit's nudge today that you want to give us victory in the areas we have felt the most defeated. Lord, I just pray that in the days and weeks that are ahead as we lean into this, Lord, I just pray there'll be great testimonies. Great testimonies of deliverance, of freedom, of change, of transformation. And Lord, that we'll walk into the next season of our life with a new freedom. And instead of always looking up at that hill where that fortress is, wondering why we've never been able to conquer it, we'll be looking down from the vantage point of a new ground that you have given us, which becomes our home, the home of victory. Just like David did, Lord, we ask that you would do it for us today. In your name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Come on, let's thank the Lord for his victory in our lives. Amen. Amen. Go blow some chalk dust. See you next Sunday. God bless you. 
Thank you for listening to another Mana House message. Our hope is that you find fresh bread for your journey each time you join us here. Until next time.